I'm Jim Juno, and this is Light Camera Author. Each week, I'll be talking with those who write books about classic movies and golden age of Hollywood and television. Talk to any performer, and they probably have a horror story about the time they died on stage. It was a bad crowd. It was a bad night. Bad material. The venue wasn't right. But now there's a book actually devoted to those who have literally died on stage. The show won't go on. The most shocking, bizarre, historic deaths of performers on stage. It's published by the Chicago Review Press, and it's by Jeff Abraham and Bert Kearns. It's the study of on-stage deaths. Unearthed details, little-known facts, anecdotes that reveal the truth about the final curtain call that ended these artists' lives. Bert Kearns talked with me about the book. What made you decide to write a book like this? Well, my co-author, Jeff Abraham, uh, came up with the idea 15 years ago. He had been at an Elvis Presley impersonator concert. And among the people that were performing at the concert was a guy named Al DeVorn. And Al was the man who you, you kind of know his words, you don't know his name. He's the one who would say, Elvis has left the building. That's right. Yeah. And, um, and Al, Al said that after the impersonator was done with his act. And then he went out into the lobby and signed autographs and, and posed for photos. And uh, Jeff, my co-author, heard uh, somebody say, you know, Al, you ought to write a book, man. You've got so many stories to tell. And he said, don't worry, I got time, I got time. And then he got in the car to drive back to Las Vegas and was killed in a car wreck. Oh, my. Yeah. And that's and that's sort of, you know, first of all, it traumatized Jeff because he, he'd met the guy. But then also he got this idea. He said, wouldn't it be great to do a, a book about people who died on the way home from a show or, or on the way to a show? Like, you know, like Hank Williams was on, on, on the way to a show when he died or uh, Harry Chapin was on, was on the way to a show when he was killed in a car accident. And uh, Jeff also came up with the, with the idea for a title, The Show Won't Go On. That's right. Because and he, the and old... he held on to it for 12 years. And... <laughs> and so one, one day, we, I've known Jeff for about 20, and one day we were talking, and he, and he had, said he had this idea. So I said, let's do it, man. I have some time. Let's start the research. So we started doing the research, you know, starting online, going into old newspaper files, and just started compiling all these stories of performers who died on the way to a show, on the way home. Anyway, when we got over 1,000 entries, we said, we have to narrow this down a bit. And it turned out that, you know, we had more than 500 performers who died on stage during a performance. And, and, we're, we're, not, and having, we're not talking about bombing. We're not saying, hey, I died out there or he died out there. No, it's actually people who are dying. Yes. We're talking about people who kicked the proverbial bucket on <laughs> stage. And you talk about dying, you know, as a comedian would say, he died on stage. We found that's one of the the worst professions to have if you are going to pass away on stage because most of the time the audience thinks it's part of the act, and you get they get a laugh, and um, it went, and then it's even worse when somebody says, "Is there a doctor in the house?" Because oh then God. it's even funnier. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great. That's a. But I remember in the book you mentioned Dick Sean especially, and I remember when he passed away, um, and exactly that is that people didn't people didn't realize he was. He had actually passed away on on the stage. Well, the thing with, with Dick Sean was, you know, people remember him from the, the movie The Producers, uh, from It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. But he was also a really surrealistic, avant-garde comedian. And one of the things that he would do, for he had a show called The Second Greatest Entertainer in the Whole Wide World. And the show would open, the audience would, would enter into the theater and not realize that Dick Sean was lying prone 
not moving on the stage underneath some newspapers. And then he would rise from the stage, begin his show, and then at intermission, he'd lie down and take a nap and lay there on the stage through all of intermission. <laughs> so the stage hands were warned, look, if the guy should suddenly lay down on the stage, it's part of the act, leave him there. Um, he got to a point uh, at this show in, in San Diego in 1987, and he said to the audience, let's imagine there was a nuclear war outside, and the only survivors are the people in this theater, and I will be your leader. And with that, he did a face plant. Oh, wow. And he lay there, and he was there for a few uncomfortable minutes. People were saying things like, hey, take his wallet. You know, and they were <laughs> laughing. I thought it was part of the act. But sadly, um, Dick Sean's son, Adam, was the stage manager and director. He was at the back of the theater, and he got on the headset and told the stagehand, you know, go out and check on him. And the stagehand said, uh, you know, he's not moving. And then at that point, all hell broke loose, and they were unable to save him. Let me ask you, did, now since the, uh, since the advent of, of the Internet and with the explosion of, of YouTube and all the, other, all the other social media sites that use video, you know, it's like I remember when Tommy Cooper died, you know, that was, and for those of you who don't know who Tommy Cooper was, he was a British comedian, and he actually died on live television over in Britain. Um, go to YouTube, you can find it. And um, But is it easier now to find, you know, film and or video of those people who passed away? Well, that's the thing. Now, yes, especially, you know, people that die at concerts, because everybody's got their iPhones going. There was one very, very sad example of a guy named uh, Pedro Monroy. He was an aerial dancer. And two years ago, he was performing at a music festival in uh, Madrid, opening for Green Day. And what he was doing was dancing in an illuminated cube 100 feet above the stage to Prince's song Purple Rain. When, and everybody had their cameras focused on him. And so did the, the people organizing the festival. They had him on the big screen with the camera underneath him. Well, anyway, the harness snapped, and he fell 100 feet to his death on the big screen, on everybody's cell phones. Uh, people didn't realize what happened, and then, you know, they finally did. Um, 20 minutes later, Green Day came on and uh, did their set and made no mention of it. And during the show, people are tweeting, you know, these cruel bastards, how, how could they do this? How could they go on and not mention it? Well, as it turned out, Green Day had been kept in a, you know, performer's holding area about half a mile from the stage and had no idea this happened. Um, but that's getting away from the point a bit, which is, <laughs> yes, when people die on stage now, it winds up on YouTube probably the next day often. Or the next hour. Yeah, yeah there, there was one, uh, actually, it was just in the last couple of months, a, a dancer in Spain uh, was part of a, a big ensemble uh, at a music festival, and a, uh, a pyrotechnic rocket went the wrong direction and exploded in her stomach, and uh, that is on YouTube. So and there you go. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Lights, Camera, Author, recorded in the studios of WRIR 97.3 FM. Today we're talking with Bert Kearns. He and Jeff Abraham has a new book out called The Show Won't Go On. And we go back to the interview now. What is your, um, when you were doing this book, did... What were the reaction of, of the people who, like, say you're telling your friends, yeah, I'm writing a book about people who who died on stage. Um, what was their reaction? Mostly was, are there enough to fill a book? <laughs> that, that, was, that, that was usually the reaction we got was, really, are there, are there enough instances? And we're like, yeah, we've got hundreds. 
Um, the interesting reactions were from the family members of people that we got in touch with and, and friends of people who died on stage. And, you know, we were a little bit standoffish at first, wondering how they would react to this. But almost to a person, they, they were all very cooperative and wanted their, their, wanted their, their, their loved ones' careers to be remembered more than just the way they died. Right. And that's what we tried to do in the book. We, we tried to make this, a, uh, you know, although death you know, is in the title and it's in each story, we, we got, went out of our way to make this a celebration of, of show business and performing arts and the performers' lives, where these stories are sort of biographies, and rather than leading to you know, an Emmy or an Oscar, although they might get, might get that along the way, it leads to this glorious moment where you know, they die doing what they loved with fans in front of them and surrounded by their colleagues. That's the, that's the thing that I took away from the book was that these these uh, men and women uh, they did they were they loved doing and I'm sure that if they had to do it all over again that's the feeling I got is that they would they wouldn't they wouldn't stop what they're doing. No, and you know when we, when you get you know older performers like you know 87 year old Jane Little who was the you know the, the, who held the Guinness World Record for the longest tenure with the symphony orchestra she died during the final encore. Of her final of the final performance of the season, performing "There's No Business Like Show Business," and everybody had to say, "Yeah, what a way to go!" Because you know she was infirm and you know she didn't she didn't die in a nursing home or you know a long illness, and she went the way she she would have loved to. But then you talk to someone like you know Dick Sean's son, and he's like, "Well, yeah, it was great. Yes, and he was he died doing what he loved, but then again, he was at a point in his career where." And he could have had another thirty years, and you know, we, I really wish he was still around. So yeah. it, it is bitter. It is bittersweet, you know. What was your favorite story of all of them? <laughs> oh, the favorite! <laughs> wow, there, there's, there's so many. Well, one of the most unusual, I think, well, uh, since we're we're talking close to Halloween, um, is the story of Amazing Joe Burris. Oh, uh, amazing! Uh, yeah. Amazing <laughs> Joe was an escape artist and a magician. Uh, very obscure. He had he had troubles. He had troubles with drugs in in, the, in his past, and he um, he thought he was better than Houdini and wanted to prove it. So on Halloween night, 1990, he um, was at the Blackbeard's Family Fun Center in Fresno, California, and he was going to do a tr- perform a trick that Houdini couldn't do, and that was to escape uh, from being buried alive. So Amazing Joe had the had the local media there trick-or-treaters, his family, everybody was there to witness this. He got into a glass and plastic coffin that he made himself, uh, was dropped in, it was shackled, uh, was dropped into a hole six feet deep, and they covered it with dirt. And then they pulled up a, a cement truck and <laughs> dropped seven tons of wet cement into the hole. Oh, my gosh. And then they raked it so it was nice and even with the ground. And at one point... The cement just settled. You heard a crack, and that was the end of Amazing Joe. <laughs> but you know, story sort of like the the not not the moral of the story, but the story is that because of that, you know, Amazing Amazing Joe died. It was very tragic, but because of that, he did indeed become immortal. Because thirty years later, people talk about Amazing Joe. They do television specials about the very alive trick and. Amazing Joe is up there with Houdini now. And I mean, for that, for dying, yeah, for failing in the <laughs> trick, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember you. I remember in the book, you had a reporter ask, "Amazing, Amazing Joe, you know, Houdini didn't do this with dirt or something to that effect." And let me ask you this: and this was some of the. Uh, I thought I saw three 
distinct ways that people died. One was that they, they had no control over it. They had, you know, it was a health issue or something like that. The second part was a mechanical failure. And then sure. the third part is probably best described as being a Darwin Award nominee, you know, um, you know, where you're dancing with snakes or something like that, you know, and, or like yeah. Amazing Joe, they want, you know, I want to put seven t- or 11 tons of it or how many tons of cement on top of me before I come out. Those sort of, is that, is that the feeling you got? Well, I think the Darwin Award would go to Thomas McCart, otherwise known as uh, Massardi, the one-armed lion tamer. <laughs> and, and old man Massardi, back in the, in the late 1800s, uh, he, he'd already lost his left arm to a lion. So he, wasn't, this, so he wasn't that good to begin with, right? <laughs> I didn't, didn't really know when to quit. And he was going into a cage uh, with five lions. And he was a, a bit nervous because earlier that week, one of the lions had, had bit him. So what did, what did uh, the great Massardi do? He got drunk. Uh, <laughs> he had a few drinks to, to, you know, to get his courage up. And then he went into the cage, slipped, and was torn, as we say, limb from surviving limb. Uh, <laughs> And that, that was one. Then, you know, then there's, you know, poor Irma Boulay just a couple of years ago. This is also on, on YouTube. She was a, 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 what was called a dangdut dancer. It's a sort of a, a pop uh, artist in um, Indonesia. If you remember Britney Spears dancing with the, with the big snake at one of the MTV Music Awards, she was yes. sort of imitating that, that culture. And usually she would dance with pythons. Um, in this case, she was dancing with a king cobra that had not been defanged and she was bitten early in the show, continued to dance for another 45 minutes until the venom, I guess, reached her heart. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Lights, Camera, Author, recorded in the studios of WRIR 97.3 FM. Today we're talking with Bert Kearns. He and Jeff Abraham has a new book out called The Show Won't Go On. And we go back to the interview now. I remember the, uh, you, you devote a chapter to bullet catchers. And, and that, well, look, that the, the, er, the earliest death that we record in the book is 1597, and it was a, it was a French magician named Coulin who was a bullet catcher, and he was killed doing the trick when his assistant got angry with him and beat him over the head with a, with a gun. <laughs> since then, there have been dozens of performers who died trying to catch bullets. Now we spoke to it in the book. We 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 speak with Penn Gillette from Penn and Teller, and they're probably the the foremost practitioners of the bullet catch today. And Penn let us in on a big secret that I think that I, I can let your listeners know. Uh, it's that it's a trick. It is. And, uh, <laughs> people have to realize, you know, people, people have been, been killed trying to catch bullets. Uh, we have uh, several people who were shot by audience members, yes. including one audience member who was put on trial. And he was acquitted because he said, I thought the guy could catch bullets. He said he could catch it, so I shot him. Uh, yes, that's uh, I'm just, a catcher. I'm just thinking that, you know, hey, it's a trick. It's not real. <laughs> it's <a> trick. <laughs> I tell you, my, my favorite was the, uh, was the uh, Chinese, a guy who was Chinese bullet catcher, but then he, something happened and turned out that he could speak perfect English after he was shot for about two seconds. And then it turned out he wasn't Chinese and he wasn't a magician. He was, or... Yeah, he was, he was a Scottish guy from Westchester, New York. Um, his, his name was, was Chung Ling Su. And, he, and Chung Ling Su was one of the most popular magicians at the turn of the century. Uh, and he was this mysterious man from the Orient. Never spoke a word of English. When they did interviews, it was with an interpreter. And 
when he was killed, they actually thought that it was murder. Uh, they thought that that it that he was killed by a rival magician who was actually Chinese named uh, Ching Ling Fu, and Chung Ling Su had ripped off Ching Ling Fu's act. But then it turned out when um, Chung Ling Su's Chinese assistant uh, told police the real story, and then it turned out that his assistant was actually not Chinese either. She was a, a girl from uh, New York as well. They were now for everybody listening out there. We're not making light of these people. Yes, it's tragic. They died. Yes, we understand that. But you know, looking back, you've you've got to you've got to look at this in a certain way, a certain point of view, don't you? Yeah, I mean, we we when we first came up with the idea with the book, we spoke to a couple of agents and publishers, and they were like, "Hey, you've got to make this funny and snarky," and it's like, "No, you can't." I mean, the, you've got to give respect to these people. I mean, sure, some of the stuff is ironic. I mean, what can you do when when there's a, an, an actress who drops dead after singing "Please Don't Talk About Me When I'm Gone" <laughs> and gets a standing ovation, and then they realize that well, she's gone. And that's you know it's ironic. Some some of it is it's like you said you know the Darwin Award pipes or, or or humorous, but for the most part it's you know it's it's showbiz. It's a fact. It's a fact <laughs> it's a of life. You know, um, yeah. One of the more more famous ones, and it may not be familiar to the younger people who are listening to this, but uh, he was the father of Albert Brooks, and the actor, and um, he actually died while giving a roast to uh, Lucy. Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz. Yeah, uh, Albert Brooks's father was named Harry Einstein. Albert Brooks's real name was Albert Einstein. So you could tell that his father was a comedian. Um, also, he, his brother is uh, Super Dave, uh, Bob Einstein. Super he played, Dave um, Osborne, yes. Funk, yeah, he played Funkhauser on uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. And we just lost him, I think, at the end of last year. But uh, Harry, park, and his father called himself Park Your Carcass. He was a Greek dialect comedian. And it was 1958. And he hadn't been doing much. He wasn't in that great health. And he was mostly just performing at Friars Tributes and Friars Roasts. Uh, he was performing at the at the Beverly Hills uh, Hotel, or the, the Beverly Hilton, for Lucy and Desi. Went up and did his act. And as they say, he killed. He was okay. the, there, there's, there's audio tape of it. We have it on our website, uh, theshowonkelon.com, where you can hear it. And the audience is just going crazy. When he was done with his set, he walked up to the dais, sat down, and fell into Milton Berle's lap, and uh, died of a heart attack after after finishing his act. Wow! And then they then the he asked uh, they asked the singer um, to go <laughs> up, and and the singer started uh, probably not the best choice of songs at that moment. Yeah, they Milton Berle said to Tony Martin, "Get out there and sing, distract them all." So he sang, "There's no tomorrow." Oh gosh! <laughs> Again, you have to laugh. I mean, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me something. How? Personally, how would you like to go if you were if you were a, a performer? How what, what would be the way you'd like to go? If I were to die on stage, oh, I'd, r I'd rather go like you know, very very old uh -huh. and you know, <laughs> and, very, and very quickly, you know. I but think, uh, yeah. yeah, I think I think something quick, not too not too not too painful. <laughs> Maybe a quick electrocution, like some of the people here that we've done. That's right. I remember you you've got some uh, one person one person in the book. Uh, you said died of mic fright, which is for like a radio person. That's that's those are two words that you gotta get over. Uh, yeah, you know we have we have a number of, of of disc jockeys and DJs who die. One one of the I guess the reasons for that is 
you know, you've got a lot of oldies DJs who were big in the 60s, and they're still around today because the one thing they still have is that voice. And we've had a, a number of them, you know, die right, right in the studio there. Uh, and people realize it when, you know, the record runs out or there's a, some what they call dead air. And they go and they, and they find out the person's there. But back in the um, 1930s, there was a guy named Kid Canfield. He was a um, the reformed gambler. And he had a great rap and he, he did a, a vaudeville show and a stage show and a movie about his, his career as a crooked gambler. And he went on stage in, I believe it was West Virginia. Uh, he, he went to a radio station in, in Bluefield, West Virginia. Uh, went up before the microphone and began his rap and froze and then just fell over and died. Wow. The audience realized something was wrong because they just played the same song over and over again until midnight you know, for hours. <laughs> if you've just tuned in, you're listening to Lights, Camera, Author, recorded in the studios of WRIR 97.3 FM. Today we're talking with Bert Kearns. He and Jeff Abraham has a new book out called The Show Won't Go On. And we go back to the interview now. And then the last one I want to ask you about, and this is one that we will probably never see uh, because it happened on, but it happened on a uh, taping of a TV show. Urban legend is that it was a live TV show, but you, you found out that it wasn't. It was a Dick Cavett show. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, that's one of the most, you know, legendary things. Dick Cavett, of course, was, had a talk show. He was a, a um, competitor to Johnny Carson. He had the same kind of show. Uh, at, at 11.30 at night, and he happened to have a guest on who was named J.I. Rodale, and Mr. Rodale was a nutritionist, uh, a natural foods expert, and, an, and a longevity expert, and uh, on a Sunday, he was in the New York Times on a Sunday where he said, I'm, I'm going to live to be 100, and he was also pretty humorous, so they brought him on the show on a Tuesday, and, and he was very funny for the for his two segments that he did with Dick Cavett. And Dick Cavett told us that he made a little mental note that I'm going to bring this guy back. He is so funny. Um, then uh, came the time for uh, Pete Hamill, the newspaper editor, to be interviewed. And so they moved him over, and he was on the chair next to Pete Hamill, uh, off camera, when suddenly there was a snoring sound. And Dick Cavett looks over, and this gentleman is leaning back, snoring. Now, legendarily, Dick Cavett had said, you know, are, are we boring you, Mr. Rodale? Uh, that's what people believed because actually um, the show had never aired. People think that it aired because it's, it had been described by Dick Cavett and been described before. And Dick Cavett told us that about 20 people a year come up to him and, and say, I'll never forget the look on your face when that guy died on your show. <laughs> and, and Cavett said, uh, well, were you in the studio audience? Because it, it actually never aired. And people believe they saw it. It's one of, one of these things because you've heard about it so much. The, 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 we were able, we were, Jeff and I were the first civilians, authors, journalists, or whatever, to get a, a look at the tape. And um, one of Jeff's good friends works with the Cavett organization and let us look at it and record the audio. So we were able to really get a, a historic record of a document of what happened. One of the most interesting things is that Cavett told us, and you could hear it on the tape, is that Cavett, when this happened, looked toward the audience and was about to say, is there a doctor in the house? But he caught himself because he realized that if he said that, he'd get a laugh. And he didn't want to get a laugh because it was so serious. So he caught himself mid-sentence and said, is there you know, someone that can help? Wow, I tell you what. So let me ask you about your website. Uh, where can people go to, uh, to hear the audio and, and see some other, uh, some other goodies that are in the book? 
Yeah, you can see Tommy Cooper, and you can see um, you can see some of the people in performance, and there are a few other um, you know, death scenes that are, that are again from from YouTube or, or on somewhere on the internet. We're at theshowwon'tgoon.com, or if you're in a rush, you can get there with diedonstage.com as well. <laughs> and we've also it's funny we've been we've been keeping track also of, of people who've passed on. You know, since we finished the book, that was always a problem. People kept dying yeah. on stage when we we thought we were done with the book. We've got more than twenty people who've died in twenty nineteen on stage. I was going to ask you, kind of are you going to have another book? Pardon, pardon me. I, oh, will you be having another book like uh, the show won't go on too? Well, I think most definitely. We definitely have. We <laughs> probably have enough by the end of the year for for another book. We're also working on a sequel that will concentrate on performers who died on camera uh, in Hollywood, movie actors and television stars, because we just had too many to fit in this book. I remember Tyrone Power comes to mind. The Tyrone Power story is great. He was doing the movie Samson and Delilah. He was having a sword fight uh, with, with one of his good old friends when he, he got, had a heart attack. And one of the interesting things that we found about this, there are, there are three different versions of what happened after he had that heart attack. One of them is that he was brought to the hospital, still dressed in his Samson outfit, uh, where he died. Another one said that he was brought to the his hotel first to pick up his wife before they brought him to the hospital. But the best one, and we're still trying to nail this down after all these years, is that he he died in his dressing room, but the his manager and the producers didn't want anybody to know that he was dead. So they walked him out to the car, weekend at Bernie's style. Oh my gosh. Had him wave to everybody, put him in the car, but he was already dead. So we're 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 working on confirming that one. All he needs is a pair of sunglasses, you know. Exactly. <laughs> well, I tell you what, Bert. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, it's actually been a lot of fun talking to you. And like I said, it's the show won't go on. That's on. That's wherever books can be found. Amazonbn.com. The show won't go on. Dot com. And any place books are sold. The show won't go on the most shocking, bizarre, and historic deaths of performers on stage by Bert Kearns and Jeff Abraham is published by Chicago Review Press. Join me next time when I talk to Joe Poznanski. He has a new book out called The Life and Afterlife of Harry Houdini. For Light Camera Author, I'm Jim Juno. <laughs> Twelve years old, fell from the roof on East 29. Kathy was 11 when she pulled 